Praise the Lord that that request, that suggestion to the Lord is always answered and the Lord does stay close to you. And that song goes perfect with the message for today. I was thinking about how we look at Christianity. <clears throat> Christianity is really viewed on two sides. One, when you were lost, and then one after you're saved. I'm talking about genuine Christianity. True salvation, being born again. Not man-made religion, not, not church culture made up with Jesus just stuck on it as a sign, but I mean genuine biblical conversion Christianity where you get to know the Lord Jesus Christ personally. America has been traditionally a church-growing country, or church-going country. You know, I attended church all my life growing up, you know, wherever church had death ministry went. Mankind was as close to the Lord as you could get in the book of Genesis, and mankind chose to separate themselves from God. And then the Lord went on the quest, the Lord went on the quest to bring us back close to him again. He brought us close to him. When I finally began to hear the Bible preached truly and clearly for the first time and started really hearing it, not from my mind or my reason or my logic, but from the heart, using the gift that God gives to us, the gift of faith, I began to see things in, through a different light. And then after salvation and my journey through this Christian life, which is so true, Brother Doug, there's definitely ups and downs. There's lots of ups and downs. And it seems like a lot of times we want the Lord close to us when there's a down. We forget to keep him close to us when we're on the up. And yet the Lord is never offended. The Lord is always so good to us. The Lord is always so gracious and willing to come and help us. He's always there. The Bible promises that in Matthew 28, Hebrews chapter 13, and even several other portions of Scripture. But ultimately, when it's all said and done, you understand today, and I'm beginning to understand, that the subject of salvation and the true purpose of salvation was not necessarily to save us from a place called hell and to save us from a place called heaven. It's not necessarily a lot of the things that we have traditionally taught or preached, but rather it was to restore a relationship to God. What would life be without relationships? I think American culture defines life as being houses and cars and how much money you have in your bank account or how successful you are. But listen to me, you can have all the money and want in the world and all the fancy houses. If you don't have good relationships in life, you are a poor man at best. I think about the relationship God gifted us in the subject of marriage and God gifted us as a parent, as a grandparent I hear, which I hear is pretty awesome. Uh, a couple got engaged last night in our church. Well, not at the church. They got engaged somewhere else. Uh, but they're going to be getting married and so they're getting ready to enter the relationship where you inherit a mother-in-law. And um, that's a very interesting subject. And brothers-in-law and so on. And you spend your whole life trying to correct your in-laws because the in-laws are always wrong and you wish they'd see things your way and but relationships are just what make life go. There's so many relationships. There's close relationships. There's closer relationships. And then there's relationships that are closest. And then sometimes the closest ones break for a while. God takes our loved ones away from us. Knowing that we're going to be with them again someday is such a promise and a blessing. And all of that came because the stage was set 2,000 years ago. A stage was set. I've been to several dramas and plays. I actually, Brother Josh, I know you're going to be shocked at this. I actually, in high school, did performance in the theater. And it was so funny because here's this dumb football jock out on the stage. And I was pretty decent. I'm no Captain Von Trapp. This guy's a legend, you know. But uh, I, uh, I did act in some plays. And, and then even little things like last night, I came up here to check the ice at the church property to make sure, you know, that the teenagers didn't slip and fall and all that good stuff. And, and um, I came three different times last evening, yesterday evening, and saw three different families coming in and out 
cleaning, doing their part to serve the Lord in this church that nobody knew about before when the building was empty. And what were they doing? They were getting the set stage, they're getting the stage set. They were doing their part to get the stage set. I think about how a week ago tonight the Super Bowl was played and, and everybody watches and, and cheers and claps for the guys in uniforms. But they forget about the people that work to get the stage set. They forget the purpose and the reason for it all. Of course, we know that a lot of that is money-driven, but, but still, there's people that painted the fields and made sure the cameras are operational. And There's a lot of work that goes into getting the stage set. But listen to me, one of the greatest stages, if not the greatest stage that was ever set, was the stage that was set when Jesus Christ came to earth. And he begins to reveal it to Nicodemus in this passage. He begins to teach Nicodemus, who is a religious man who, who doesn't quite grasp spiritual relationships. The nation of Israel had a very strong, admirable relationship with the law in the Old Testament. And in that relationship, they thought it would bring them as close to God as possible. But Jesus came and took us the next level of relationships. In fact, in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus has talks about how he's going to go pray in the garden. He's about to be crucified and then resurrect. 26 is the garden prayer and the arrest. 27 is the, the plans and the judgment and the crucifixion. And then 28 is the resurrection and then the book of Matthew ends. But in Matthew chapter 26, he takes his disciples into the garden with him. And then he takes three more into him a little further, deeper into the garden. And then I'm sure he had a secret prayer place where he went. And then the Bible says he left those three there. And we know they ended up falling asleep. And Jesus went a little further. He always goes a little further. He always goes the extra mile. He preached to us to go the extra mile. And yet I believe if we're going to go the extra mile, Jesus has gone an extra 10 miles. You see, for where it is as a Christian that sometimes you feel lonely, nobody has ever experienced loneliness like the Lord Jesus Christ did. And so the stage was set. We celebrated his birth just a few months ago. We'll celebrate his resurrection next month. But in the midst of those two great events, the birth and the resurrection, there was a stage being set. The stage was being set so that we, if you will, for the sake of this title and this phrase, we would, we would gather as an audience to watch what was behind the curtains. It's been said before that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. There's a lot of interesting thoughts to that. In the Old Testament, there's so many messianic promises. God is constantly telling the children of Israel, there's coming a Savior, there's coming a Messiah, there's coming a Christ. And it's interesting, as we talked about it this past Wednesday night, and even in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus says, whom do men say that I am? And they say, they are like Elias and Jeremiah and other the prophets. But then he says, whom do thou, who do you say that I am? They don't say that thou art Jesus. They say in that particular verse, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The pieces were coming together. The curtains are about to be pulled back so that God could display his ultimate plan, the final plan that would allow you and me and a child and a teenager and an elderly person to be able to, Brother Doug, get close to God again. My sin had made me distant from him. My sin had forfeited my right to be close to him. And in the midst of my sinful process in life, I've easily said... Be gone from me, depart from me. However, he pursued me, desired me, died for me, lived for me, so that I might be close to him again. As you see here in John chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, There was a man of the Pharisees, a religion, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a group of people that adhered to a certain religion. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, watch this, Rabbi. A religious phrase, 
a religious term, a term that was shared by many men in that day. I know that thou art a teacher. Oh my, you don't know much yet, Nicodemus. We have the luxury of reading John 3 and its completion and the whole book of John and having the whole Bible complete. So give, give Nicodemus a little bit of slack. Give him some forgiveness. Give him some leeway because Nicodemus does not understand what he is saying in that very moment when he's speaking to Jesus Christ. And then he says, for no man can do those miracles that thou doest except God be with him. That's an interesting statement. He calls him rabbi, but then he says, no man can do what you're doing. Oh, he doesn't even know the half of it. No man's going to die on the cross like he did. No man's going to live again like he did. No man's going to walk on water like he did. No man's going to heal people like he did. No man's going to feed the multitudes like he did. No man's going to forgive like he did. No man's going to stand up to religion like he did. No man's going to call out uh, wrongdoing and sin like he did. Jesus Christ, the perfect balance of grace and truth, love and holiness, hating the sin but loving the sinner. What a Savior. And so as he's saying these things, it's almost like Nicodemus is sitting in a crowd and he sees the curtain there and he knows something's going on behind that curtain and Jesus may be some kind of a tease, if you will. And verse 2, Jesus immediately says to him, he doesn't try to expound upon it. He doesn't try to give him all the details. He makes a simple statement. He says, except, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You'll never be close to the kingdom of God. We understand that Jesus taught two kingdom doctrines in the book in the gospels he taught the kingdom of heaven there's three levels of heaven according to the bible we have we are living in one of the heavens space is another heaven and then there's a third heaven where god lives the kingdom of heaven is jewish doctrine that's what he taught to them that's what he espoused to them but in this particular chapter where he's about to say the most famous verse in the history of mankind he does not say kingdom of heaven he says kingdom of god if you have a loved one that has passed and they were saved they are in the kingdom of god and the kingdom of God, there's no elections. In the kingdom of God, there's no overthrows. In the kingdom of God, there's not even any dictatorships. There's one king, and it's king of kings, God himself. And he doesn't have to be a dictator because of who he is. And that God today, I want you to think about this, and I want to challenge my heart too. That God longs for a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with you and me more than I want it with him. He desired me before I desired him. He loved me before I ever loved him. He pursued me before I ever pursued him. And even after salvation, when my pursuits, my pursuits have failed, when my love for him has faltered, he has still pursued and he has still loved. Even when I went wayward, he was pursuing me. Even as I faltered, he was coming after me. God the Father loves his children today. And I want to remind you that as the stage was being set, he had you on his mind. He had you on his mind. We are so blessed to live on the complete side of the Bible now. We have the luxury of reading and understanding everything clearly. And sometimes we pass judgment on those who are living in the actual writings and development of the Bible that we forget that they did not know what we know today. However, that we know that holds us more accountable and maybe more responsible, more, and we have more obligation to probably respond accordingly. And so as you study this passage out and you study the verse out and these particular contexts out, you're finding out that the stage was set. The stage began to be built in Genesis chapter 3 when God promised the Messiah 
The stage was set when God chose Abraham to become the father of the nation of Israel. The stage was being set when Moses led the people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. The stage was being set as King David stood up against the enemies of Israel. The stage was being set as Elijah and Elisha and many prophets came down. The stage was being set through Isaiah and Daniel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah. The stage was being set uh, by, by Mary and Joseph and John the Baptist. And the stage was even being set when Jesus made statements like this, I go to prepare a place for you. And in that context, so many times we apply it to the fact that he's building us a mansion in heaven. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I believe he may have really been saying, in my preparation of a place for you, I go. I go to the cross. I go to the cross to prepare a place for you. I go. I go out of the tomb to prepare a place for you. Why? Why, Jesus? Why? I'm in a Gentile. I'm not a Jew. I have nothing to offer. I'm not that talented. I'm not that beautiful. I don't have all the money in the world. Why? 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 He says, because I created you, and I love you, and I want you. God chooses you today. Sadly, so many people don't choose him back. God chooses everybody today. Yeah, he chooses the ones we reject. He chooses the ones we dislike. He chooses the ones we have a hard time loving. But he chooses me as well. I'm hard to love at times, ask my wife. I've been rejected at times. And yet he chooses me. You see, salvation and Christianity becomes so much more meaningful when you realize that hell and heaven and all the things we pre- preach traditionally about salvation are wonderful things as a part of it, but that was not the real purpose of God and the salvation and the death of the crucifixion and the resurrection. His ultimate desire was for you and me to get close to him again. He wanted to take away every barrier, every mountain, every obstacle, every sin, every failure, everything that kept me from coming to him, everything that kept me separated from him, everything that kept me away or distant from him. God wanted to be close. In fact, the very day that Adam and Eve fell into sin and they were hiding from God, God was pursuing them. He was walking in the cool of the day. He was seeking them out. Wherefore art thou, Adam? He wanted to be close to Adam again. And as close as to Adam, he saw that even God felt like he wasn't satisfying Adam enough. So he gave him Eve. And God gave Eve to Adam. And then he sees this couple beginning to grow and flourish. And God desired that relationship with him. And even when they had a perfect garden and a perfect place and a face-to-face relationship with God they chose distance over closeness and I have chosen distance many times my shame has pushed me away from God and yet God still stands ready to receive always so the stage was set for number one salvation genuine salvation real quickly salvation is simply this John 3 Verse number three, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John three, verse five, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Verse six, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Flesh. Right now, in your seat, where you're at online, watching online, when is your birthday? Don't say it out loud. When is your birthday? Think about the day you were born. What date? What month? What year? I'll tell you mine because I want you to send me a card with money in it and give me gifts. August 28, 1975, I will be 49 years old this coming August. Someone in my family will be 50 in June before I turn 49. I won't name who it is. It might be one of my kids. It might be my wife. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> but think about your birthday today. You have a physical birthday. We all are here today. I can see you. You can see me. I can hear you. You can hear me. We've sung together. We've shook hands physically. We live in a physical world. This is a physical building. This is a physical city. Everything around this place is physical. But God is a spiritual being. 
Heaven is a spiritual place. Try it right now. I've done it several times for fun. In Google Maps, I type, tell me how to get to heaven. Google says there are no directions there. I'm sorry, Google. There actually is. Google Maps, there's a direction. Apple Maps, there's directions. It's right here in the book. You see, if God created heaven, then God has the right to tell us how to get there. So when is your birthday? Think about that physical birthday. Then I have a question for you today, my friend. Jesus says you must be born again. That means there's a, a birthday after the first because he uses the word again. It's not an accident. Physical birthday of August 20, 1975. That means there must be a spiritual birthday for you in order to go to heaven someday. The stage is being set. God has worked out all the details to get you to this place in your life. Some of you are already saved today. You say, praise the Lord. I'm already saved, preacher. What's that got to do with me? Listen to me. There's people around you all the time. The stage is being set. There's people in our own family that the stage is being set. There's people that might be coming to this church next week, next month, next year if Jesus tarries because the stage is being set. So think about that physical birthday. Here's a simple question. When is your spiritual birthday? When did you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And there's nothing in this passage about baptism. The word church is not mentioned one time. An offering is not mentioned one time. A tithe is not mentioned one time. There's not even a mention of being good, having good deeds. A lady came to a pastor one time and said, Pastor, the reason I'm going to get saved is because I think I have to give up everything that I do, all my sins, in order to be saved. And the pastor said, that's not true. You don't have to give up all your sins to be saved. She goes, really? Yeah. Several months passed and she got saved. She came back to the pastor and said, you were wrong. I did have to give up things to get saved. He goes, you really did? She goes, well, I don't want to do those things anymore. He said, exactly. You see, we have so many times we have this concept that God expects us to be at a certain standard or God wants us to be at this level or God wants us to know this or that or do this or that. that That's not God's desire at all. He wants you to come as you are today so that you might be born spiritually. A baby just left the building. Boy, I love the sound of a baby. I'm glad I don't have a baby right now. My baby turned 16 this last week. I look forward to being a grandpa because then I can pick up the angels in the morning and drop off the devils at night. Somebody say amen right there. <laughs> my name's going to be Fat Paul. I can't wait there. It's going to be awesome. Next few years, Lord willing, that's going to be my name. Stay with me now. Spiritual birthday, when is yours? When did you come to the grips of the real, realization in your life at one point that you had to have a spiritual birthday? So that God could become your father, you could become his son, his daughter. So that you could be birthed in the family of God and go to the kingdom of God someday. When was your spiritual birthday? Number one, salvation. Number two, there's a regeneration that takes place. Regeneration. Gene, G-E-N-E is in that. Generation. Gene is in generation. The whole concept of that. You see, my spiritual gene, my genetics, spiritually speaking, death, I was destined for death. I was spiritually dead because of sin. But that regeneration took place. There it is, John 3, verse 6. That which is born of the flesh, August 28, 1975, that's your physical birthday. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's what we have. But watch this. That which is born of the, oh, wait a minute, capital S spirit, God's spirit, is lowercase s spirit, man's spirit. There's a regeneration. God actually gives you a spiritual gene and you become a spiritual, literally in the spiritual genealogy of God. Which means God becomes your father. My physical father that was there the day I was born, August 28, 1975, is Arthur Dignan. I bear his last name, and I have for 48 plus years. My mother did most of the work that day. Joyce Bradley Dignan was her name. And my mama is here in church today. And boy, I have a physical attachment to them. But 18 years later, one month and 11 days before I turned 19 years old, I had a spiritual gene come alive in me because of the salvation and the regeneration that only God can give. Why? Because the stage was being set. 
salvation, regeneration. And finally, number three, I love this one. There's an anticipation that comes with all this. The engaged couple this morning has not been able to wipe the smile off their face. When a new baby is born, everybody smiles. There's excitement, except at 2 o'clock in the morning when the baby screams and cries. But we all know what it's like, the joys of a new birth, the joys of an engagement, the joys of a wedding day. The joys, anticipating great things that come as a result of a relationship. Watch this now. Brother Doug, praise the Lord. Because of our salvation and because of the regeneration, we can now have anticipation of a relationship with God. I watched a funny video the other day. I remember when I used to feel like that. I'm, I'm not being mean or critical at all, but they were showing uh, NFL athletes leaving a stadium recently in one of the games. I can't remember if it was the Ravens or one of the, one of the NFL teams, and they, they were filming these athletes leaving their locker room going to their cars. And they wanted to see which athletes would actually respond when the fans said, please come over here and let me, let me get a picture. Sign, please sign an autograph, right? Because for some reason, Americans are obsessed with people that can do what we can't do. Right. Remember, God created those people. And in about 10 years, their bodies will break down and they'll be out. It's just the way it is. It's the way life is. And I remember being enamored with stars and athletes. I've met several famous people in my life. And it's pretty neat to meet around them and meet them and find out they're human beings just like you and me. And some of the athletes just jumped on the bus and didn't regard the fans. And some came over and signed the autographs. And, you know, they were talking about who was cool and who was not. And they judged everything by whether or not that athlete came over. Whether or not that athlete was willing to come close to them and sign a piece of paper or take a two-second picture so they could post it and tell the world, I met so-and-so. God will never walk past you when you call. God is never too busy to give you another autograph. You want a selfie with God? He might even help you take the picture. God wants to be close to you. How many of you anticipate heaven? Oh, what a day that's going to be. I do too. And I anticipate it more and more now than I've ever been. People that I love and people that have been close to me, even preachers that I've looked up to are, are passing away and Family members have gone on, and the older you get, you start losing people. Paulette said that to me the other day. She goes, Preacher, it just seems like Brother Jack Baskin went to be the Lord just recently, and Brother Bob Nichols, senior missionary, two missionaries our church has supported, them. two men, saints of God. By the way, those two men are a whole lot more famous in heaven than Michael Jordan is. And those two men have passed on, and they've gone to heaven, and they're with Jesus now. And my dad met them both while they were here on earth, and they're all hanging out with Jesus now. Oh, what a blessing. And I anticipate that day, but no, 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 don't miss the anticipation you can have right now. Because right now, you can experience something that we'll never experience in heaven someday. And that is to walk close to Jesus, even in this robe of flesh that is full of sin and self-desire. I can anticipate that Jesus will be with me tomorrow, and Tuesday, and Wednesday. And even as the stage was set for salvation and regeneration, the stage is still being set for what he has planned for your life and my life. I can't wait to peek behind the curtains. I still have a pulse. I'm still alive today. See, so many of us are allowing whatever, whatever's happened in our past to get us to a point where we don't anticipate that stage anymore. But the stage is still set for your life. Brother Samson turned 80 years old and had a birthday party yesterday. And he cried. 
He said, it's my party and I'll cry if I want to. That's what he said yesterday at the birthday party. It was a sweet time celebrating a man who's been faithful for many years. Been married for night. He's been, he's been, he's 80 years old. He's been married for 78 years. I mean, it's amazing how long him and his wife have been around. I mean, it's just what a testimony. Brother Samson, just because you turn 80 doesn't mean that the stage is done for you. There's still a stage set for you. Stage is set. You can anticipate that Jesus still has something planned for you. Just meet with him every day. Thank that God for that salvation. Thank God for that regeneration. And keep the spirit of anticipation. Because the stage is set. Heads about eyes are closed. Thanks for listening so well today.
Lord, I knew a time like this could someday come my way. When in disbelief, I'd watch my whole life change. I thought I'd have the words to tell you how I feel. But the only thing my heart is telling me to say Lord, stay close to me as I journey through the darkness of this great unknown. Lord, stay close to me. Though I've placed my faith in you, I feel so all alone. My heart trembles like a child as I walk a scary mile. And the only prayer my lips can find to speak is, Lord, stay close to me. I guess that I could ask you for a miracle to even take away this trial that I face. But Lord, I know that you alone know what I need. So will you hold me close as I journey through this place? And Lord, stay close to me as I journey through the darkness of this great unknown. Lord, stay close to me. Though I placed my faith in you, I feel so all alone. My heart trembles like a child as I walk each scary mile. And the only prayer my lips can find to speak is, Lord, stay close to me. can rest upon the promise, promise that you gave. Lord, I know that I can make it through if all I have is you. And Lord, stay close to me as I journey through the darkness of this great unknown Lord stay close to me though I placed my faith in you I feel so all alone my heart trembles like a child as I walk each scary mile and the only prayer my lips can find to speak is Lord stay close to me. Lord, stay close to me.